we have a pretty sophisticated design token structure that's using style dictionary in the background that's already connected up for you. So it's ready to spill all those tokens into your React components that then use them for their component tokens. You can use those component tokens to quickly change the way things look and feel by just changing the tokens around. We've really taken to having a complex layering there. Complex not meaning you have to interact with it, but you can. Hi there, and welcome to Pod Rocket. I'm your host, Paul, and today we're joined with Daniel Lay and Jonas Ulrich. So Daniel is the co-founder of Kickstart DS along with Jonas. Um, so we're going to be talking about design systems today. We're going to be talking about, you know, front-end development and what you folks have to bring to the table when it comes to what the web looks like. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. Hi, Paul, and thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you for coming on because like you folks noted before, we're kind of in a design system kick right now. Uh, pun not intended. Uh, so we're going to start kick, talk about Kickstart uh, DS. It's a low-code solution, right? So what does that mean? Uh, well, yeah, what's a 30-second elevator pitch for people tuning in? They just want to know really quick what it is. Yeah, I mean, I can try. It's a starter kit that enables digital teams to build their own design system in a really efficient way. And the low code pretty much means that you have some integrations that you can use off the bat that are just ready to use, like integration into Gatsby, for example, to have a working website theme also running. If we have a Gatsby inter integration, does that really just mean you're going to install the core? You're going to install the integration? It's going to link up and you can maybe get up and running. Use your page elements inside your CMS, for example. So to complete the picture, one other puzzle piece would be a generated config, for example, for Sanity, for your headless CMS, and you have a full website stack in addition to your design system that exactly fits your components, the structure you found for yourself. So that's the low-code part in the whole thing. So one of the things you have on your website, if you visit, it's a very colorful website. If people want to see a fun website, um, kickstartds.com or hold on dot com let's make sure that's right thank you uh kickstartds.com so one of the phrases you have is it's as easy as squeezing a lemon right who came up with that one <laughs> so i i think this was mostly me who came up with that um uh, catchy term because so i'm i'm not a front-end dev but I'm more caring about the product management um, and UX part of the piece. And um, what I could see that also with my history in, 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 in other companies, setting, and, uh, setting up a design system and implementing a design system was quite a pain and, and often code-sided was really, really harsh. And when I met Jonas and when we digged into Kickstart DS, I really saw that is super easy for front-end dev. And when we did our user research, talk to devs, they also were pretty excited about how easy it is. And, and, and that's basically where we then, where I did end up with that easy, like squeezing a lemon. I, I mean, we know this is true because like you said, you're not a huge front-end person. And one thing I find as a content creator is when I go onto podcasts and I know 
less about a subject matter expert. You can therefore create a better system that's much more e- or a better piece of content that's approachable for people. So if you say it's easy, like squeezing a lemon, not being a front end person, that gives me also as a back end guy, like a lot of confidence that it, indeed, I'm not going to be like wading through the JavaScript jungle just to get my com- like my components working. Let's talk about the components a little bit. So how many components do you have in the, in the framework right now? I think we were right on the start page. Let me see. It's 30, 33. It's written there. Um, but it really depends on how you count, to be honest. So there are some heavyweight components that really pull their weight, that do a lot of stuff. And there's the tag label, which is really not that interesting if you look at it closer. So I'd say it's more like five to 10 really core components that do like 80% of the stuff and then lots of stuff that's next to it. And so really like, like a post for a blog post or stuff like that. Um, but yeah, so about 10 to 15 really often or most of the time used components. So when we're talking about low code, we're talking about 10 components, that sounds like it matches up right there. So is it, allowing people to really quickly scaffold their pages uh, with these 10 components? Yeah, but that would be exactly the part that's not no-code and what distinguishes it from no-code because you have to have a front-end dev go in there and create the components based off of our building blocks. So the expectation would still be for someone to create his own design system with his own naming for components, his own component uses, because otherwise it wouldn't really be his design system. It would just be a theming of our solution, which is not our intention. So you really go into that and map it, but that is really easy because we have a lot of tooling and scaffolding stuff for you to make that easy. But if you've done that, then you can connect it, for example, to your CMS, to your Gatsby theme and stuff like that. So that's where the low-code part really kicks in. So you still set up your own design system. And we think that should be the way it is. You shouldn't just skin something because a design system really should be expression of your use of information display on the web, how you utilize your brand in that. That should all be pretty custom. So we don't pretend to be a product that you just buy off the shelf in in a package and click install and you have your design system. You still have to think about what you want to do. We can't do that for you. And we don't want to do that. Do you think that maybe we could go into a quick two or three minute example about what is an example of skinning a piece of your project and what going the full nine yards and creating a design system around that maybe piece of functionality would look like? Yeah, I think we can do that. Um, So one example I just, for example, wrote up for our documentation because we're pretty busy writing documentation right now for our upcoming release is... um, writing a small guide on exactly that kind of layering of components where you just think about what you want to build. So in that example, it was an interstitial component, something you can insert between default content to have something really obvious, really eye-catching. And that was just thinking about the structure. For example, there it was having a topic, having a text, and having a link that you can include. Those were the three options that you would need for that component. And then the next step is to look at the set that we already have and to see if, uh, and to see if any component matches that. 
that behavior that you want to have. And then you just go into that, you create your schema file. So, so we use a lot of JSON schema for the base definition for your components. So you just one time write it down. What's the, the structure? What types of fields are those that you have in there? And then you can just create your React template, importing the component from our base component set and just wiring it up. And you have stuff like automatic typing or yourself. And so it gets really easy to do that hookup part of the process. But you're really uh, getting the components from the design system in the back. And that's way that's the way where you say rescanning, because what you would use for that would be our, I think we took the storytelling element, which is a really big component, which has like 40 options, I think which we would never advise someone to use in his own component. You should reduce that to the set that you need for your use case. And that's what we chose here. So you have 40 options, but only three are user choosable in this design system. The rest is hard-coded. The decision is taken when integrating the component by the front-end dev. And we think that's the good way of layering this kind of decision process while still being a productivity boost because you don't have to actually code the button. You have it in the back, but it's not your ready-made button. That's the distinction I want to make. So you still have to apply it to your use case. I really like that definition. You have to apply it to your use case. You're redefining the, the API to be a specific phenotype of functionality. And we think that's super integral to creating your design system. And if you buy into a solution that says it's a design system, but there's no domain mapping as part of creating your design system, then it can't really be a design system. You're just taking something off the shelf and using it as, as is. And we have a pretty uh, bit higher standard for what we would call a design system. So that would be pretty much part of every design system for us at least. I think it kind of brings my brain back to the library versus framework distinction you're using versus working with something. Uh, yeah, that's more of a framework. And next to the code, which is one super important part, we think is a lot of best practice, practice and structure that we bring into it too. So how you can structure things so you don't have to think about how your build pipeline could work and how your releases could work. So you have semantic releases in your design system that just makes sense. So all that stuff comes with it, which makes it really easy for teams that don't have that that kind of knowledge, because it's pretty special knowledge, you, you have to say, nowadays, to know all that stuff about those build pipelines, about build processes, everything that's going on with packaging. It's super hard for your regular, to say, team to just do it on the side, because that's often what's expected of them. And that's where we really see a solution like ours being integral to really doing quality work going forward. That instills a huge confidence in me because, you know, like I said, I'm a back-end guy, so when I want to go do front-end stuff, seeing how it's done at these high-performing groups and companies, and you're like, wow, I want to do that for my group of two or three, just so, like, we have it organized. But, oh, God, like, if you're not in that space, it's very challenging. So what's an example of a uh, best practice or, you know, some bowling alley guardrails that you put up for folks like me who might be coming in and wanting to make a good design system? Yeah, I'd say the first thing would be the aforementioned JSON schema part. So really more or less forcing you to think about your structure because it's not optional. You have to write down that structure. It's the starting point for everything else. But another thing would be having a token structure that's already set up for you. So 
We have a pretty sophisticated design token structure that's using style dictionary in the background that's already connected up for you. So it's ready to spill all those tokens into your React components that then use them for their component tokens. You can use those component tokens to quickly change the way things look and feel by just changing the tokens around. So we've really taken to having a complex layering there. Complex not meaning you have to interact with it, but you can. So per default, you would maybe just define 10 main branding tokens, and those would generate your design token set, which has a lot more semantic tokens, for example, that are already there. Stuff like, what should my primary text be looking like on backgrounds, for example, on a dark background or on a light background. Stuff like that is already set up for you and hooked into your components. And then you can go into there and just change it up yourself by changing the alias structure of your tokens. For example, telling the button that's inside another element to maybe have another text color and choosing from another semantic color or Maybe you're building a new component that's completely for you. It's completely custom, but you still have all that design token structure in the background. So if you have some text and it's an interface element, you already know that you can choose the front-end text color token. It's ready-made for you in a semantic structure. So having those kinds of structures set up for you from the start, I think, is something that really helps with that which has those guardrails. You know, so you won't have some problems. Maybe one other example, we've really struggled a long time with having invertibility as a concept in our components. And it's not the same as dark mode, which sometimes gets confused. It's that you can invert something and everything that's on that inverted part correctly inverts with it. This is like negative, right? You think of it like yeah, and it needs to be cascadable. So you can set something as negative in a negative and it should be positive again. So right, okay. It's layerable. So that's a concept we've integrated pretty deeply into our token structure. So you can just easily change, for example, every section, just invert a true or false, makes everything change according to your design token structure in a really well-behaved way. That sounds super. I mean, like of the, I used one big honking framework that we all know which is material UI. And I, I just want to focus on this one aspect of it that was really nice, which is the the theming and skinning piece. Because when I had never touched front end before, you come in there and they're like, oh, like you're going to make two levels. It's going to be your primary, secondary. It's like a well-known thing that people do. But if you come into the framework, they really walk you through that. Um, they're like objectifying these different layers of interoperability within your design stuff. And that's what the token sounds like it's doing here. You're saying we're gonna we're gonna make this object, this idea called a token. Can I think of them like tags, almost like for the components? Or why did you name it a token versus a tag? Because my mind goes to a tag. So maybe I mean it's pretty much coming from the design side of things. I'd say um, maybe Daniel can tell something about design tokens and where that's coming from. Because calling it a component token for me, at least is the extension of calling other things design tokens or branding tokens and stuff like that. So it comes from that side, I'd say. Yeah, I, I would also say I do not know the real history of that term, or, but, but I saw it popping up in the design space more and more often in the last few years. And it's rather really the, the, the smallest building block of 
something. So it's a color hex code or maybe the, the radius of a corner. So it's really, really one, one simple design decision overall, because that's what we are, when we're talking about tokens, we are also talking about a decision which was done once between maybe the design team and the marketing team and the branding team and even the devs um, in, in regards to the feasibility. So, so that are decisions being, being uh, um, taken and then somehow being defined in a token. So, yeah, I mean, the component token, as I've said, just is the extension of that because even in your tokens itself, you have layering. In our case, for example, you have base scales, something like your primary color, your primary color, 90% opacity, 80% opacity, so you have a scale. So those scales are your base values and you use those in your semantic tokens. So you have something like your text color foreground and you say text color foreground is just an alias for my color scale 80%. So you even have there, you have layering inside just your design tokens themselves. But this gets converted to component tokens and then layered inside of them again. So it's just the extension. So you don't have to use all those layers though, but you're providing you're providing the um the in, so to speak, if you want to make that distinction within your organization. It sounds like you guys really put a lot of effort into how the teams are going to interact to create the product. And I think that's pretty much back to uh, based on our background because we've been an agency for 15 years before doing this, building exactly those kinds of websites for clients. And we've always had a pretty big focus on front-end for as long as I can think and have always developed our front-end in isolation from our back-end integration and then painstakingly integrated it into the back-end systems by copying handlebars templates into PHP, stuff like that. Um, but we've always written our front end as its own thing. And we've pretty early on identified that we don't need to rewrite everything every time. So we've had a library set up pretty early on that we've developed, I mean, at least five to seven years before then making the decision one and a half years ago to really double down on that front end part because we were honestly a bit fed up with the agency world too. We wanted to work on a nice product that we're really passionate about. And that was always our main passion. So we just took what we had as library for us, solving that problem for us, for ourselves, and really thought hard for the last one and a half years how that could apply to others and what we have to change in what we already had to make it more approachable for others. Because it was pretty much solving our problem and you could see it in the code too and in the applicable use cases so you really had we had to invest that time and to learn how you do people want to use something like this what's important to them so so uh jonas and daniel you did you start this design agency together 15 years ago no but we know each other almost you know each other okay and now you're working on um on kickstarts yes so when, when the design agency you you noted it kind of gave birth to this beginning library that solved your problems. What was probably like one of the things that made you pull your hair out? Like I'm, I'm talking about problem zero, like the one that just made you stay up those one or two nights and you're like, I'm just going to pump this solution out because it's just such a pain point on the team in the way we're communicating. 
in respect to the design system. I don't think there was that moment. I think we were that curious and passionate about that topic itself that we just did it pretty early on. It was, I'm not sure it was actually solving a problem when we did it. Okay, you just had the foresight and you're like, this is going to be necessary. It's going to. Yeah, I mean, I, I still remember and I, I said it in, we had a small talk as an intro before this. And I mentioned the Brad Frost podcast you just published. And he's a huge inspiration for what we are doing. And just seeing the way that he introduced architecture and structure to the front end world, at least in my view, was a huge inspiration for us to think about those problems when building our own stuff so uh so would you say the customer like the ideal customer right now is another design firm for somebody checking out kickstart ds or who should go check it out um so that's something we're still exploring about but um we do target let's say medium to larger enterprises at first so we guess that like companies with more than let's say 100 employees do have like a couple of digital touch points and that makes them or provides them maybe the need for a design system. At least that's what we believe and what we're convinced of. And um, so we do focus firsthand digital teams inside a company. And then let's say on the, uh, another customer segment could be um, an agency doing that stuff for other companies as well. But the design system part, in our opinion, is strongly related to an inside work in a company. So as uh, Jonas already said, there's uh, lots of um, terms of vocabulary um, a company has in regards to their front ends and UIs, and that's where design system should relate to. So, and uh, we guess it's just like an agency can consult and build it together with a company, but it's not something an agency can build and hand over because the design system needs uh, to be vibrant inside that company. Yeah, and I mean, we always joke that the design system is 50% technical, 50% processes. So about stakeholder management, who is involved, who's making decisions, you, you won't have a great, I mean, maybe you think it's a great design system, but it won't be great if it's not used inside your company. And that's pretty much a political thing in most of these companies, how this decision is made, who does take that decision in the end. And you really have to manage that to ensure that the design system can be a success. And that's also part of the best practice thing we've been talking about. We really try to also get that knowledge into our documentation, into our blog entries to help people also on that front, because for someone to use Kickstarter in a successful way, he has to do it like that. And we believe that that's way easier in your own organization than as an agency that's more looking for a copy-paste blueprint that can be more or less reapplied in their interest without many changes. And that's not really matching, not 100% on that part. So if I wanted to play with this myself do you have an open source solution available i mean that's uh, what i've a bit hinted at before with that release and all that documentation stuff because right now it's all closed so as i've said we've been using it for roughly one and a half years now testing it in pilot projects ourselves testing it with first select partners that 
really know how we work, where we know how they work to slowly get to know how Kickstarter actually works in production, so to say. So that's what we've been doing the last one and a half years. And now we're ramping up to our first big release that includes open sourcing much of that, what I've called best practice and the core architecture of it. There will still be stuff that's not completely free, mainly a content module of components that we've written for really marketing landing page heavy contexts that will be a small subscription-based model where you can just buy access to the module. So it won't cost you an arm or a leg, but uh, it will be a really small fee that you can pay to have some more components that do some cool stuff for you that you won't have to build yourself. But the main part, like the button, the section, stuff like that will all be the open source part, including the documentation on even how you would build our commercial components. So you could just go into there and build them them yourselves. And if that's the better proposition to you, then fair game. So Yeah, right. I mean, it's all about supporting the bilateral support between your team and the teams using your stuff. So, And that's the balance we're thinking about here. And we have some thoughts about the integration layer because there's lots of potential on that front too to enable automatic integration for CMS solutions, stuff like that. But that's a bit further in, in the future. Yeah, I was about to ask what's one of those things in the future. Um, CMS management is coming up, but... Yeah, those automatic integrations are something that's getting a lot of steam in the wider community, I think, too. Really thinking about how do you compose all those headless systems? How do you actually build a good website now that's also performing on the web, that has good performance, that can be split tested, that has personalization and all that with different systems in the background? And the front end is just one part of it. But we think it's a pretty vital part because it sits between all those headless systems, all this composability stuff and the end user. So in between that, you will always have a front end that gets rendered and it will always be in your interest to have it consistent, to have it brand compliant. That will always be, at least for the companies of the size Daniel talked about, they have that interest. They're really interested in controlling that. And on the non-technical front, maybe what are some of the... um organizational like partners you're working with or or growths that you guys are having that you're excited about is there somebody that you can share on the podcast it's, it's okay if you can't but is there somebody you're working with that is a really awesome for feedback in the product that you're excited that you're working with that you maybe want to share yeah <clears throat> maybe there's there's one large german university the uh, ruhr universität bochum which I guess is one of the largest universities. I think the seventh largest or something like that in Germany. And, and they have a strong um, need for a design system. They, um, but on the other hand, and, and that's pretty typical for, for lots of customers. They are not really deep inside that system thinking of a design system. What does it mean? So that's often where we now, in, in all those pilot projects, start with really a consulting project where we what we call the design system initiative where we also let's teach the customers and coach them into that kind of thinking and it's on a larger scale not only the developers but also design folks um, maybe people from marketing or other core stakeholders we we find out in that process 
Um, and, and then it's on the one hand really telling them how, a, let's say, modern design system can look like and what are the best practices and what is worth to implement and what are the values they can get out of it. And then it's really starting with uh, not the main project, the biggest project, rather finding out uh, a pilot project where they can really um, test and integrate Kickstart DS and implement it and apply it for their touch point and then scale from there. So, and, um, and oh, again, coming back to that, uh, uh, customer, they have lots of really content-driven uh, websites. Uh, so it's really worse for them um, to, to rely on something like Kickstart, yes. And, um, and I mean, they have even like hundreds of departments with widely different background knowledge about web development inside those departments themselves. So you will have some that just know how to click together something with Bootstrap. You will have some that won't do any development at all, just use off-the-shelf solutions or others that are really knowledgeable about it and want to have something new. And that's what was really interesting for us with that project, to see how something can span from all that modern React headless world all the way down to something just talking about HTML, because that's probably something we should note too, that we're not requiring the user to use React on his own website. It's just the templating layer that we've chosen because every component library needs a templating layer. As I've said before, it was handlebars for us, but that's just not that modern anymore. And you don't have many benefits that React has as a templating layer with that. So in practice, those customers like the university they're actually using the HTML output. So they just have an HTML tab in their storybook. They download a static asset with a super old school index.css, index.js, integrate that into their page, or even have it on their own CDN lying around for people to use. And then people can go deeper from there. If you're enjoying the podcast and you want to learn more about design systems or really anything related to development, we have a whole plethora of episodes in the past and one's coming and just like Jonas mentioned we have one or probably two or three more about design systems so tune into pod rocket we got more great stuff coming for you um and now i'm gonna lead into the outro because i want to point people in the direction of where they can learn more about Kickstart DS. So I mentioned the webpage, which is very fun looking, and we should all go look at it to see fun colors and get inspiration about how web pages should be. Because we're all, I'm sick of the white ones, guys. There's like so many just white web pages that have, like, it feels like a flyer. Like this one's, it's playful. So check out the webpage. Um, the documentation, that's also accessible from the webpage, of course. Um, do you guys have? Not yet, I have to say. That's that's part of the upcoming release. So I spoke too soon. When we're releasing, and that will be pretty soon, so end of the month, uh, start of November will be the release. So then the repository will go public. You can just check our code directly, which we think is super great because we would love to hear feedback about what we've built. So we are pretty excited about that. And then the docs will also go online. And if people wanted to maybe watch a video or follow you guys, do, do you have any YouTube talks about what you're doing? 
we do have some YouTube videos online, but they are a bit outdated currently. So we've really been heads down the last months and weeks to create really focus on the release. So there's not that much currently, but you can pretty much expect to there to be some new stuff after the release to really showcase what we what we did here. Yeah, exactly. So so we will start growing that community once we have that release, which is a major milestone for us. And we have a small Discord server. We're on Twitter. So if you search, you will find some way to connect to us now too. But we're really looking forward to do that after the release and have a wider public audience looking at everything and telling us what they think. The Discord server is great. That's becoming a very popular medium for you know growing communities. So we can find that through the website, right? It's linked somewhere there. Okay, great. And we have a registration. So if you just want to know when the release occurs, we have a small registration form on the page. As we promised on the site, we will really just send you that one email when the release is ready. It's not a mailing marketing list or anything like that. It's just as a hook to be notified when we are actually live with it. Well, uh, Jonas and Daniel, thank you for taking the time to come on. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be some people coming to the Discord server and check this out. Um, and hopefully you can inspire some teams to start actually using design systems, right? And improving our front-end hygiene in general. Yeah, we'd love that. Yeah, again, thank you very much for having us. Mm-hmm.